Hello, everyone. This is Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister, the Disrupt Meister. Welcome to This Week in Bitcoin. Today is October the 11th, 2019. Strong hand. Bitcoin is the next Bitcoin. Value your wealth in Bitcoin. Offended by selling. One Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin. Un unconfiscatable conviction. Be a unique beast. Oh, I've got you a unique beast right here. You think I'm a unique beast? This dude is a freaking unique beast. You all know him. It is Gabriel Divine coming in from some undisclosed location somewhere on this planet. Welcome to the show. Look, I got a new shirt that says, which is where in the world is Satoshi Nakamoto? You can get shirts like this linked to below, but hey, Gabriel, great to have you back, you unique beast, man. <laughs> Thanks, Adam. You know, Satoshi's actually in the next room, so that's where I am. But I am on Earth. I do, I do disclose my, loca my planetary location. Okay, because you do believe, well, I don't want to get into what you believe that's beyond the Earth and whatnot. We can talk, <laughs> we probably disagree about that. But now we're going to get into something that for me, it's, it's beyond my earth. I wish this was off planet. The IRS, why do they have to be on this planet? Why do they have to be in this country? You know, I, I, get, I said I'm offended by selling Bitcoin. I am offended by the IRS and it's crypto ignorance, okay? And what they just came out with, with the fork. So I'm going to read you something by uh, Matt Carello here and I, I want your take on it. He says, IRS, please audit me, claiming I owe taxes on hard forks and airdrops I didn't know about. Never could practically legally convert to uh, fungible assets and never did receive. I'd very much love to bring this in front of a judge. So he's talking about the recent guidelines that the, uh, and it's, it's linked to below, and Gabriel Devine is linked to below, by the way, too, if you want to check him out, um, that the IRS, it, it, they were trying to clarify things. It wasn't very clear. What they said about the, the crypto dividends, the, the uh, forks and the, uh, uh, and the airdrops was insane. And I don't think they know what the heck they're talking about over there. But what are you, what's your take? Uh, it's ambiguous, right? So, I mean, every law has some degree of ambiguity, but tax law is some of the worst. And in this case, this is like a, an especially egregious instance. And specifically, I've noticed that a lot of people are focusing on this verb receive and uh, i'm totally not a tax attorney i'm not an accountant my knowledge is you know lay person level when it comes to tax and but you know it is interesting to think about re what receive means like matt was saying like i have no idea about bitcoin palladium you know what i mean or what some crap fork that somebody tried to scam other people with and it's like, you know, did I, just because I could use my Bitcoin keys to um, claim this shit fork, oh, excuse my language, crap fork uh, that is out there, just because I could doesn't mean that I quote unquote received it. And what does receive mean in this instance? Do I need, how, do you, how does the government prove that I have taken possession of the coins on a, on, a, on a fork chain. And that really raises the question about enforceability in general that Vortex was talking about on Twitter, which is, <laughs> you can't enforce this. It's the same thing, you know, it, it's like the under the table job, right? Where you're like, oh yeah, I'll bartend for your one-off party and you're gonna kick me down 60 bucks. You know, it, it, 
they can't really enforce that. Um, now, when you're talking about digital money and and then and crypto, whatever, the people are are um, speci often specifically using cryptographic tools in order to hide the activity. So then the the enforceability is called so seriously into question that it becomes a joke. Um, I, I want to know if you yeah. think I, I'm beginning to think that they just want to freak people out so much that they want people to self-report, just tell them themselves, basically. I mean, it, it, it almost seems like that's why they leave this ambiguous or that they just have no idea what they're talking about. Yeah, um, I would say that is their MO in general. Like they want to scare people into paying them. I mean, it's extortion, right? It's classic extortion. If you don't pay them, we're going to lock you in a cage. We're going to hunt you down. Men with guns will come after you. If you try to fight them back, we're just going to send like a huge platoon after you until we overpower you and throw you in a box. And this is no different. That's their general MO. And it's really just a in this case, such an egregious example of overreach. It's totally retarded. But basically their idea is any money that you make, we own a bunch of it because we're providing the infrastructure and the protection. It's basically a protection scheme, right? The mafia comes around to your store. They say, hey, we're going to protect you from the other guidos that come around here. So you got to pay us 15%. What a deal, huh? Those cops ain't going to protect you. We got Vinny out here. He comes around every six weeks. He's going to check out your property. You pay us 15%. Everything will be great. You'll be, you'll be protected. And, you know, with a protection scheme, uh, um, you know, ideally, if you run into uh, problems of coercion and violence, you genuinely could go to them. Whereas if you went to the police, it, they're going to be ineffectual. Whereas some mafia guys, I mean, if, if they're actually running a legitimate protection scheme, they might actually be able to protect you. Uh, you know, whereas with the maybe... You know, right? With the yeah. U.S. Uh, military uh, in its excursions around the world and stuff, uh, it's extremely questionable whether they're providing security or just extorting. All right. Pre classic protection scheme. All right. Pound that like button, people, if you don't like the IRS. And I know. So we'll see how this progresses. What, what other clarifying statements might come out in the future if they pick on anyone? We shall see. I am uh, I'm not freaking out about it. I don't think... Uh, <laughs> I, I clearly think they're trying to scare people and mostly they don't know what the heck they're talking about. And Vortex, again, I said it on Wednesday's show. Vortex said it best, you know, be, best luck, best of luck enforcing this IRS. Okay, moving on to another government issue. God, the government likes to uh, uh, get involved in this type of thing. And hey, specifically from someone from California, Maxine Waters, you, you had spent some time in California in your day. So you, you, you know of Maxine Waters. Well, she wants to have a hearing in a couple weeks here. It's going to be called an examination of Facebook and its impact on the financial services and housing sectors. Okay. Um, Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg would be the only witness. Uh, while details were sparse uh, in Wednesday's press release, uh, noted that committee chairwoman Maxine the Wig Waters has drafted the Keep Big Tech Out of Finance Act. Previously, Waters had called for Facebook to halt development of Libra until lawmakers' concerns were addressed. The draft legislation prohibits large platform utilities like Facebook from becoming chartered, licensed, licensed or registered as U.S. financial institutions. Okay, she doesn't want, she's scapegoating, uh, she's blaming everything in the world on Facebook. You know, Facebook might not be the greatest company in the world. They, they might spy on you, et cetera, et cetera. 
I say this is where the big boys play. Let them print their own money. Let them be their own financial organizations. There are, there are lots of corrupt financial organizations. Why then? Why? She's grandstanding, I think. Um, she doesn't know what she's talking about. I'm almost 100% sure. What's your take on it? Is this going to be a big deal when Zuckerberg testifies? Uh, probably not because it's kind of like a one hearing in a long series of kind of ups and downs and different corporate uh, sponsorships, corporate partnerships and government crackdowns and partnerships and bribes, huge bribes behind the scenes. Uh, but one thing that I'd like to bring up that this really reminds me of is Mr. Robot. It's a TV show. It's in its fourth season now. Uh, it has a uh, Sam Esmail, the producer, has has a lot of issues stringing together a plot uh, after the first seasons. It's a real problem. But one of the things that they did absolutely nail in the second or third season was uh, the override the giant corp a corporation E Corp in this show, which is like a combo um, Google, Facebook, Apple almost. They launched eCoin which is exactly as a centralized, um, you know, digital thing. And, and it wasn't working. And then the CEO had dirt on a senator or some government, high government official, federal, and basically blackmailed him into allowing E-Corp to create loans, which is banking, of course, right? Yes. So, I mean, that's, those are the two functions of banking is, is um, lending and, uh, you know, securing and, and, and holding, right? Capital for other people. So uh, they, they didn't want to allow it. Like Maxine Waters is saying, now we're going to disallow that, you know, oh, you can't have a banking license or you can't print this, you know, this digital currency uh, um, international thing because, uh, we're not going to give you a banking license in the States. You know, it's funny because banking licenses in general are completely crony run. The whole idea of you can't do this financial activity unless uh, the protection scheme guys let you um, is totally coercive and authoritarian. So the idea of a banking license in general, where they're like trying to make they're trying to make fractional reserve safer so that it doesn't actually work. It's only, you know, there's all these com countries in the world where they don't have a giant military to, uh, you know, steal from everybody at will. So if there's a bank run, it just collapses. And this whole idea of, Oh, well they had a banking license. And so it's insured is, is BS because it's, there's so much more outstanding that if everybody wants to pull their money out, they, the company will immediately fail. So it's kind of like a you know lipstick on uh, a pig all the way down, right? It's twenty six thousand lipstick on pigs, and uh, but it really does remind me, <laughs> right? It, it really does remind me of Ecoin, where um you know uh, unless Zuckerberg has enough dirt from spying on Maxine Waters's Facebook message messenger, um and seeing about her lesbian pedophile murder. Uh, uh, carnivory uh, or uh, excuse me what's it called when you eat people um, cannibalism yeah. or whatever you know some horrible dirt where she can be like he can be like hey now we are getting a banking license or your career is done um, and I wouldn't be surprised if they pull something like that off it has not much to do with Bitcoin just like in Mr. Robot they handled it really well where they where they must have talked to a lot of hackers and got the real um, story because that particular sort of plot 
you know, actually worked really well because he had, it was, he was like, Bitcoin is, is reaching its maximum and people can't use it all the time because there's, it was before Lightning Network. It was right at 2017. They were writing, it was really well done. And then it was like, here's our alternative. We got to issue uh, bonds or loans and, and we can loan the US government and you guys will owe us back interest and you're going to, you're going to go for this right now. And that's exactly the kind of thing that um, the corporatocracy and Silicon Valley technocrats would love. So do you think, I guess it's a two part question here. Do you think Libra should exist? I mean, and do you think they'll let Libra exist? Should, you know, I, I, t I try not to should on situations. Um, I, I, I think that they, sh I, I personally believe that they should be free to create this um, scam. Go for it. Um, and do I think that they will succeed? Well, so there's this guy, Cliff High. Oh, uh, <laughs> well, Gabriel's and, on the show. He could talk about, you see, I let people talk yeah. about things I don't talk about. Pound that like button. Go ahead. Yeah, Cliff High is this guy and he's written some weird predictive software where he analyzes everybody. It's very woo-woo. He's trying to analyze everybody's uh, subconscious psychic messages and compile them into predictions. And um, he's got a pretty decent success rate, actually, but it could just be him being smart and putting together his data in a smart way because he's a smart guy. You know, he's a clever guy. Uh, he, and he's maybe just doing a good job uh, parsing through some data and seeing what people are talking about now and just kind of drawing out some things that he thinks are going to happen. And, um, he, you know, he has a pretty good track record, not necessarily with, you know, any, if you pluck any particular prediction, but he, something like 50% success rate uh, historically, which is ridiculously good for just random predictions about human society, weather, you know, everything, anything you can think of, Bitcoin price, uh, uh, crap coin prices, whatever. So um, one of the interesting things that did come up repeatedly in his reports when he was still uh, publishing them into 2018 was that the deep state would attempt to create, uh, they would attempt three times to create an international currency and all three would flop. Uh, and the first one, the, uh, he specifically said is the SDR, right? Which is this um, thing that does exist, but yeah. it's not really getting a whole lot of traction as far as I know. It's a basket currency where they're popping together all the different countries' crap coins, um, the yuan, the dollar, euro, everything. And they're trying to make a, they're trying to peg uh, an international currency, which is exactly what Facebook wants to do with Libra, right? Yeah. It's exactly the same thing, but it's just controlled by a corporation instead of the IMF, I think which is behind the S, uh, SDR, yes. special drawing rights, right? So this is a basically a limited currency only if you're really good friends with the jerks at the top. So um, that's really interesting because um, they did the SDR and then there was, uh, there, there's been a few different attempts to create these digital, uh, basically crap coins, um, to token, you know, useless tokens. Um, there's the Petro, right? That was a limited, not an international one, but he specifically, um, you know, did did say, and it was one of those things that came up repeatedly that there's three times and all will fail and Bitcoin will go on you know, through the decades. So um, that's kind of what I see. I think that uh, Libra may be allowed to launch in the next 10 years, but it's uh, going to have limited user base, in my opinion. 
All right. Now you you did say when you were talking about eCoin, comparing it <laughs> comparing it to Libra. I like that. Um, that it's not Bitcoin, and we all know that it's not Bitcoin. But it seems to me there are a lot of people who are quite confused about it, and it's it's taken some of the hits for Bitcoin too. Uh, when when the uh, vibe toward uh, Libra was when they thought it was going to happen, Bitcoin price took off. Now people have been worried about Libra. Bitcoin price has been down. So there have been people, some people out there are mixed up. Um, do you think this will be an attack vector onto uh, Bitcoin in the sense that the government will uh, shoot down Facebook coin and then go for Bitcoin? Or might it deflect some of the attacks on Bitcoin? Hmm. Uh, okay, so definitely no to the first question. Whether it will deflect some of the attacks... Maybe. Deflect some of the attention, at least, I, I, I would say. Yeah, certainly it will defle it's already deflecting attention, which is kind of interesting, which is really good. But the thing that's, you know, it's, it's very clear and sort of direct why that is. And the main difference is it's completely and totally centralized. And Bitcoin is decentralized. And so they have somebody to go after and uh, uh, pester about Libra, and there's nobody to go after investor about Bitcoin because nobody's in charge, and you can't attack it. And anytime you do, you will it will backfire in your face. So yeah, how they is the connection right now? Is it okay? Yeah, yeah. For a second, it was, but it's a convenient scapegoat. Facebook is a convenient. They can they can use. Yeah, that's why I think. Yeah, it could actually deflect some of the attention because once again, as you pointed out, the uh, the understanding is still nascent when it comes to these assets and um, many people could get confused. So yeah, it could deflect some of the attention. I think it kind of already is a little bit. I, I hope, you know, what you also said, I hadn't even thought about it. I hope he does have some dirt on Maxine and all the, all the people over there. And he uh, implies to them nicely behind the scenes, you're going to let me have this because I've got access to all your, uh, that would be great. Mm -hmm. I, I think that would, but I think it should, this is where the big boys play, I say. Let them create whatever they want to create. They should be able to print their own money just like the United States can print its own money, just like Russia can print its own money. People have to get used to, you know, we're going to talk about how this is the second decade of Bitcoin. People got to get used to this new paradigm where it's not just countries that print money. It's not just countries that print money anymore. That's, I've got, I, I've got a, one word for you, Meistercoin pound that like button it won't be happening all right <laughs> so let, let's uh let's move on to something uh we're talking about uh financial systems the the whole worldwide financial system here let's let's share a tweet by the great liberty blitzkrieg michael krieger you retweeted this and again follow gabriel it's linked to below i know it doesn't seem like it yet but central banks are very much losing control of the narrative this will become very clear over the next 12 months. You agree with this? Yeah, I do very much so. I really like Michael Krieger, uh, Liberty Blitz Krieg. I think he's at Liberty Blitz. And um, he, I would consider him you know, um, an acquaintance, a friend. Uh, we've yeah. ch chatted a few he's times. Been, he's been on the show before. I met him in person. He's a great guy. He's a good guy. Very good. Super cool. Super on the level. Really great guy. I'm probably way more out there than him, but yes. he's very. he's got his finger on the pulse. And I really like his perspective. Although I'm also I'm also more uh, what you might call um, uh, freedom. Like I'm more of a freedom extremist. But um, Mike has been talking about 
banking for a long time because his, of his story. He was a trader. Yeah. 2008 happened. He was absolutely flabbergasted that the Federal Reserve was picking and choosing winners out of the 2008 debacle and not letting the market uh, let the chips fall where they may. And he, he was absolutely stunned that they stepped in to save, you know, and they, they, they let Lehman Brothers crash and they saved everybody else. And it was this whole thing where he was like shocked and that completely changed his career because he realized, oh my God, this is like way more corrupt than I realized. And we're going to, and so he changed his career. He now is more of a commentator. He doesn't, doesn't do, uh, you know, as much in you know, large scale trading. He's not involved in the banking industry directly anymore as far as I know. And so I think he, and like I said, he's got his finger on the pulse of financial people, financial industry and community, social environment, culture, let's say, finance, right? Old, I call it old finance, right? Yeah. Um, and he's specifically the word he used in that tweet is narrative. And that's so important now because people are attempting to understand a rapidly shifting landscape through the lens of stories, through the lens of, you know, everybody is, everyone has the stories that they tell themselves about the world. And these stories are memes in themselves. In other words, they sp spread and multiply and are in culture and, and they're, they're shared and, and altered and shared again and they explode like a virus in culture. And people uh, dedicate mind space to these stories and these, these narratives, right? It's a framework or context with which you can understand a series of events that are happening that could be unrelated. This is what Sam Esmail needs to figure out with his show, Mr. Robot. Like, dude, just because there are events happening doesn't make it a plot or a story. So these events of the, what the Federal Reserve's messaging, the Federal Reserve's actions, uh, recently we had a, a a panic in the repo market, which is the overnight lending market between large institutions. And basically what's happening there is the same as what's been happening for decades, which is that they're financializing, they're rehypothecating and repackaging these loans and selling them to each other and then leveraging, 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 leveraging. And then when something moves, so that's basically like, oh, cool, you know, I can, um, when something, let's say it goes up one point, cool, I can actually make 10 points on that because I've leveraged it 10x, right? Um, but what happens is if there is an outsized move, a black swan, as it were, then boom, immediately everybody gets liquidated, right? People either win a ton or, you know, make, they say make, but it's really win. It's kind of like gambling. Uh, or, but really much more common is their account immediately gets liquidated to the bottom. And a lot of these, um, it's because it's lending and the whole system is based on a series of promises. This is the debt paradigm. There's oftentimes only promises at the base layer. Like there's no asset at the base. It's just, it's a loan that they're ex you're ex hoping that you'll, somebody will pay back. So it's promises, promises, promises. And when that goes away and the, the bottom promise this person says, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pay back that loan. Then everything collapses and vaporizes. Just like money is created out of thin air by the fed debt is extinguished back into thin air instantly. And with these type of situations, with these debt markets, that's what happens when there's an outside 
outsized moves. So the repo rate shot up from 2.3% or whatever to, which is already high to like 10. And then people just into millions and billions were lost and nobody could get a loan for an overnight thing. So if the Fed hadn't have stepped in, there would have been a, a, a much larger chain reaction instead of just the traders uh, losing their bets about on the debts, it would have been a large company, billion dollar size companies, not able to meet their uh, payments from one day to the next because overnight lending, right? So they wouldn't, they wouldn't have been able to pay. And then there would have been a, a huge spate of bankruptcies. And the, the Fed uh, considered it its mandate. It's completely illegal, actually. It's an unconstitutional situation entirely. It's totally a big, giant scam where if your buddies, you know, if you're golfing with the guy, then you'll get the loan. So Fed's, the Fed's like, oh, the repo market needs, okay, cool. We've just got a button here and just created $60 billion. So now you guys can play with the $60 billion and everything's cool because that was the shortfall. They're just kind of plugging the hole, hole in the dam. Right. So the dam is incredibly cracked after 2008 and they've just been basically trying to plug, 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 plug. And just and now um, really the cracks are widening. And Mike just pointed out that the narrative of, oh, we're the good guys. We're trying to help and sustain the economy and stuff. So so many fewer people believe that now that it's be, it's um, we're heading toward a, a crisis in the near term. You know, I, I, I think the man, average man on the street doesn't even know about this stuff, though. Oh, so, no, no. Uh, he's specifically talking about okay. the professionals okay. who base their daily decision-making in their day jobs on the Federal Reserve's actions. But this, Those this, people, uh, you know, 10 years ago, they didn't really question it that much. Then there was a crisis, and then more and more and more and more people have questioned it. And now it's reaching maybe a crisis or, or um, what you would call the... Um, What's that point called? The um, tipping point. Uh, I mean, tipping point. But first exactly. of all, it, it boils down to so what he's saying, or what you might be saying here. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Is that the 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 big financial players are are going to lose confidence in the United States dollar? I mean, because I mean, the, all, the solutions to all the problems for the last eleven years has just been to print more money, bail everybody out. It's been working. That's been the narrative. Everyone believes in that narrative. I don't see people stopping believing in that narrative. I, but he, yeah, you see that. You see that in the next year happening. It's, uh, they're going to they're gonna lose confidence in the dollar. I mean, that's what it boils down to, I think. Yeah, I think, I think that's going to start happening. So basically, like, um, it's a, I think it's like a domino effect a bit where first you lose confidence in the officials at the Fed. Okay. Then you, uh, or you lose confidence in a, in a specific statement. Then you lose confidence in the people making the statement. Then you lose confidence in the fact that there's an officer that's even allowed to make that decision. Then you lose confidence in the system that they've created that, that is in, in, in crisis and panic. And, um, and then you start basing your decisions on that and you start buying, say, gold or whatever and selling your dollars. And only once the dollar, once, the, once these um, realizations and the narrative shift uh, has already played out in the markets and begun to affect prices, jobs, industries, and stuff. Then finally, one, then finally, it'll trickle down to the man on the street who's like, "Hey, uh, this orange used to cost a dollar, and now it's a dollar seventy-five. Wow, that's terrible. I can't feed my kid. Like that's only they'll be the last in the last domino, right? Yeah. So, but I, I agree with you. But yeah, in the next year, I think the narrative shift will be 
really uh, powerful and available to see, but it's going to take another, say, four or whatever, five in for the the echoes of that to play out. For, for me, people have been talking about this for so long. I think they'll keep on finding ways of pulling it off. Negative interest. We haven't even gone into the negative interest rates yet. They haven't pulled that out of their butts yet in, in America. We'll see. I think we'll they see. will, and it's. I think Japan is a great thing to look at is three lost decades. They basically took the socialist approach of paper over the crisis with, with as much debt as you can and just prevent all of these zombie zaibatsus from going out of business. The zaibatsu is a large industrial concern, they call it, or it's like a conglomerate. It's, you know, imagine, um, you know, 57 industrial companies all under one umbrella. There's these large uh, zaibatsus in Japan. And um, basically they all, they all were going belly up in 1989. And, the, and the, the Bank of Japan said, oh, well, we're all Japanese and cool. So let's just all be friends. And here's, uh, you know, a couple hundred billion dollars worth of yen and just stay in business. And what happened was they hollowed out the economy. Uh, people work three jobs. The, 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 the economy there is absolutely bit in the toilet and um and in in 1999 they called it the lost decade in 2009 they called it the lost two decades and now they call it the lost three decades and that's what i think we will see except now we have bitcoin i don't think they've got three decades i think they've got seven nine years or something well you see we do have bitcoin but who is we here i think the people in japan they loyally they loyally worship the yen still. They still buy, 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 buy over there. They're still spending, spending. Sure, they might not be creating all these new innovative businesses as, as much as they would have if they would have done the correct thing economically, but they're still living their lives. It's still a pretty pleasant place and everything. Um, but if, if the same situation were happening in the United States, I think there would be so many people that would just go with the flow. They've got their big house. They've got their big car. They've got their nice technology. They could buy a lot of nice clothes and they'll just do their thing. But- there will be some of us that will know better, that will not want to work three jobs to get that big house with three garages, that will opt into Bitcoin. So I never, I, and this is, I guess, a good question for you. I don't see hyper-Bitcoinization happening. I don't see the majority of people ever getting into Bitcoin. I think the fiat, some form of the US-dominated fiat world will continue to exist, um, but the smart people will get into Bitcoin. I, I don't think everyone will get into Bitcoin. Yeah, you know, it makes me think of something that, oh gosh, what was that guy's name? There's an author out there, you know, I don't, I don't recall his name, uh, quite an interesting guy. I've never read any of his books, but I've seen him speak a few times, and he's talking about something which was also mentioned in The Sovereign Individual, interesting book from uh, 22 years ago where they predicted a lot of the stuff that's already happened and much more in the future too. They were speaking about... A, bit of a bit more striation in society as a result of the empowerment of the individual through computation and networking technologies. And so the idea with it is, is that what, what this other author called it is uh, the barista class, right? Where people who either aren't intelligent enough or not hardworking enough, not um, disciplined enough, whatever it is, or unlucky, too unlucky, uh, end up working a m more manual job or, you know, Starbucks. blue collar. Yeah. Yeah. Baristas. Right. So it's yeah. basically um, whatever com uh, robots haven't been able to get to yet, they're able to fill in, but it's sort of bottom of the rung 
work and then a large gap between the barista class and a technocrat class or, te or, or a technical, technologically savvy class. And this is actually very similar to how European society, and, and American too, it was a younger country back then, but uh, 18th century, you look at the 18th century and you had gentlemen, and it wasn't just a matter of uh, birth, right? It wasn't just a matter of, uh, to be a gentleman in say English society in 1780. Uh, it wasn't just a matter of you were a nobleman, you know, like a son of a baron or something like that. You could be the son of a rich merchant and still be a gentleman. The idea was that you had been educated and that you, um, you know, you had, you were a man of means and you would have a valet. The valet would be what we would call a barista class now, right? This is somebody who maybe couldn't read and write, but they could lug your trunk around or, you know, what gets you, call you a carriage. Um, and I think that's definitely the direction we're heading. So basically, I mean, it's similar now. It's just that the um, haves are going to go from, um, you know, this tiny, tiny elite of, say, 300 families or whatever it is. And uh, th that's going to explode and be tens of millions. But that's still only 1% of the population. You know, maybe up to 10%. could be several hundred million. But then, um, you know, every, other people might be left in the dust just due to their natural abilities. However, I do believe rising tide lifts all boats and, and the barista class will live more comfortably than maybe uh, upper middle class of today. Nevertheless, I do see that gap f um, reforming again because in the 18th century, you could have a sword cane and a, a gun on you. It was really hard to, you know, attack. Like there was, this power was a lot less centralized. We all came of age in the 20th century when uh, power really peaked and the, the authoritarians in the 70s was the peak of authoritarian power. And since then it's been decentralizing and Bitcoin is an extremely individual empowering technology. And so we're heading more back into this paradigm of, um, it's, well, really, you know, fiat is the quote unquote money of slaves. It's the currency of slaves. Silver is the money of gentlemen and gold is the money of kings. It's the same. It's, it's going to be, it's, it is already now, but it's going to be that much more visible. Bitcoin will be the money of the, um, well, I actually wrote a novel six years ago, five years ago. I finished my novel and uh, it takes, it's, a, it's a science fiction novel. It, it's called Feed Forward and it's about AI and marketing, but it takes place in the fu near future. And uh, I call them shakers. Basically, the idea is anybody with enough get up and go and a bit of smarts and uh, ability and a little luck uh, can become an entrepreneur. And that's actually where we are now, where you can become a blogger and make a living and blah, blah, blah. Anybody who's a self-starter and really going for it and trying to do their own thing, like Adam, is uh, what I call a shaker in my book. Because like movers and shakers, right? They're the people who are really doing stuff in society. I call them shakers. And that's this exact same thing. It's the opposite of the barista class. It's the entrepreneur class, the people with, the, with a, a little bit of means, at least, and uh, a lot of maybe natural talent and uh, certainly discipline. So... Um, I want to say, you know, it's the future is really bright for everybody, but I definitely see much greater amounts of e what, what um, leftists like to call inequality. Even though everybody will have access, the access will be much more democratic than ever before because people will be coming online, smartphones will be five bucks, you know, all that stuff. Anybody who has the desire and a, a modicum or enough ability to enter the world, the world marketplace will adopt Bitcoin and become a shaker.
And the shaker and shakers is not like businessmen and entrepreneurs as we thought of them in the nineties say it was kind of a special thing. Like, wow, you're an entrepreneur is a little bit like rare. Now it's already kind of normal ish. Um, but it's going to be like a actual serious class in the future where there's 15% or 22% of the populace or 40 even 20. Uh, are just, are just entrepreneurs. And if you work for somebody else, I mean, literally you're a slave. And so if you're smart and you want to become a shaker, you're going to be saving in Bitcoin. And then at that point, you're going to be like, hi, thanks so much for this opportunity. I really enjoyed working for you. I'm going to go on my own now. That's going to be really normal. Uh, and so, but, but we're going to see the striation. If you're a little bit mentally disabled or whatever, you'll be a barista. And, but I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that there's going to be some amazing technological advancements that will make those people's lives, you know, comfortable too, but they won't have means. They won't be able to start a lot of stuff. This is beautiful. Golden age of the 2020s is just starting out now. What you yes. described, the people familiar with this show know, what he described as a shaker, I describe as people in motion. They're, in, they're not just sitting there. They are in motion. This is the time to get in, in motion. This is the time to get into Bitcoin. There are going to be a lot of people complaining to Elizabeth Warren in eight years, four years, saying, we didn't know to get into Bitcoin. Bail us out. Take their money. Anyone can get into Bitcoin now. Anyone can be a shaker. Anyone can be in motion. But the majority of people will ignore it, and they will want someone else to take care of them and, and live the – but still, as you say, the, the rising tide lifts all boats. They're not going to know it. But their lives are going to be so much better in five years, 10 years than, than now because of the technology that the shakers and the people in motion. It's it just the, the in, in, income inequality, I don't believe in it either. It's, it's pure envy. There's always going to be inequality in, in, in a free market system. And you shouldn't worry about how much money Bill Gates has. You really shouldn't. You should be trying to be in motion, be a shaker, do your own thing so, you don't, so you're not a slave. These people end up being slaves to envy, and then they end up being slaves to Target or, or, or wherever they end up working. Um, it's just, uh, and this is just a, a great time to be alive in this golden age where you, everyone's got a chance. Everyone's got a chance to get into Bitcoin and to, to do their own thing right now because of technology. So you really, you've, you've summed up so beautifully what I, what I try to say on this show all the time. So you see, pound that like button. We're on the same, we're on the same page here, baby. This is good. This is good. All right. Uh, let us... Let's move on to, well, you, you, you hit on, a, do you want to mention QE5? You, 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 you hit on it a little bit. You think there's going to be a QE5, I mean. Yeah, it's already started. This repo thing is QE5. They're trying not to name it that. It's just more injection and saving, uh, picking winners and, and, and losers. So, I mean, the losers are anybody that, you know, you and me, right, uh, in that situation. So luckily, we have a, a, a great, yes. an excellent life raft, but, um, you know. Uh, so no, I, we don't need to talk about it there. Let's just say the expansion that, you know, of the, uh, and the repair on the dam is now long in the tooth, uh, solid 10 years, if not 11. And, um, it's, it's reaching a breaking point soon. I think next year is going to be a huge year of crazy shifts. We're not going to understand it as much until the next year. And then, through the 20s. I don't actually see the 20s as the golden age. I more see the 30s because the 20s is when everything comes out and everyone gets excited, but it's so new and crazy and it's still distributing that it's just a shock. It's like the 20s, it's going to be the roaring 20s where there's going to be crazy things happening and new, incredibly new things. And then the 30s is when we'll have that base layer of technology to lift those, those boats. And now I, I think of the 30s more as a golden age, but we'll see. It's a, it's a good theory. We're going to have to, we're going to have to play around with these new technologies that are coming out. And some of them are going to be 
earth shattering. Some are going are going to bust for a while too. We'll have some some booms. That that's that's a good way of lo of looking at it. Um, I I will say uh, you mentioned uh, before the show IPO implosion we just had. Yeah, are you referring to uh, what's that one? We work. Yes. Okay. So we'll still have, uh, in, in the next decade, we'll still have people try to pull off these type of things too, where they say they've got some great uh, new, uh, great, great, okay. No, no, you, you don't yeah, think yeah, I'll be able I Actually, I think there will be less because uh, for, for a few different reasons. One of the reasons why these manias and bubbles are enabled is fiat, right? So there's all this... Um, new currency that's created and given to the chummies of the people with their finger on the, on the trigger at the fed. And, uh, you know, the banks give it to their buddies and golf, etc. So what I see happening in the twenties is a mass vaporization of bezel. Now bezel is a back formation word from embezzlement. It's not, it's a, I don't, it's funny how that happens with, with words in languages, you know, English for sure. Embezzle, there wasn't actually a bezel word before that as far as I know, but um, it's a back formation. It's the idea of the portion of the economy which is derived from fraud, essentially. This is a term, I believe Mircea Popescu might have come up with it. Or uh, maybe he borrowed it and just that's where I found it. But um, uh, bezel is... Fiat, all of the fiat, all of the debt, the stuff that I mentioned before, which uh, is created out of thin air and extinguishes back into thin air, that's bezel. Bezel is all the extra hot air in the economy that's not based on anything real. Now, you can take bezel and do real work and create some wealth with it and use it as a leg up like Amazon or something, uh, even though Amazon is still fueled by a lot of bezel. But there's this portion of the economy which is fraudulent. All those ICO projects is bezel. But really, the Fed and traditional central banking is like a bezel machine. And that is a key concept to understand because I believe that is the main financial transformation ahead in the next decade is mass extinguishment of bezel and people becoming hyper allergic to bezel and just having no patience for it anymore. So IPOs are a perfect example. The Silicon Valley bubbles and stocks, um, that is a perfect example of bezel. Basically the um, central banks create a bunch of currency and give it out to their buddies. And the buddies are like, let's put this into something that uh, we can try to make a return on. And um, stocks are the number one, uh, you know, method to do that so uh there's a you know you, all you have to do is go back to this classic sketch that everybody knows now from 1912 right before they created the federal reserve uh you know some intelligent editor at a magazine in the states uh, had their illustrator draw a picture of a giant octopus with big sharp teeth um sucking coins out of all the institutions and barfing them out into wall street into the stock market and that's exactly what you know it goes on with bezel and they blow up these giant bu uh, bubbles full of hot air and then it just extinguishes we're going to see mass extinguishment and mass vaporization of bezel and frauds over the next 10 years it's going to be a huge shift societally and culturally where people will be so skeptical of these things and there won't be the gambling because 
because there won't be as much fiat out there for them to, to spend on it because the fiat will be depreciating so fast that they won't even like the, the whole fiat machine will be in the process of collapsing and people will become, uh, you know, investors will become far more conservative. And so the malinvestment crisis that has been building for 106 years will vaporize and the entire culture will shift uh, not on a dime, but over just a few short years, the entire culture will be different. And all the young Gen Z will um, be real confused by everything that came before and it will seem normal to them. But millennials and everybody older, it's going to be a massive cultural shift that we're going to undergo and that, see. It's a very logical scenario that you, you put out there. Not that I necessarily agree with every point of it, but it is it makes total sense. What I was thinking, though, is that we will enter such new, there'll be so many new technologies, the nanotechnology, all sorts of, that the investors won't even understand what some of this stuff is. And some of them will be so excited about it. And there'll be all these little companies popping up that are going to be doing the nanotech, doing the self-driving cars, doing this, that uh, people will be throwing money at them. But if there's not as much money out there, then th that won't happen. So that's, that's, that's your, uh, your, your take on that, definitely. But, well, uh, I would I would say that they're not the two those two um, sort of uh, patterns of behavior or actions are not mutually exclusive. Yeah. You can have tons and tons of speculation, but just have a generally more careful level of in uh, of inspection. You know, the WeWork um, prospectus for their IPO was absolutely <laughs> retarded yes. and anybody who would look into no one looked numbers, at it no one read it i, I don't think anyone yeah. read it did anyone i mean that was <coughs> yes a lot of people read it but soft <coughs> excuse me softbank did not read it so now they're <coughs> five billion in the hole because i think they did read it and they were just like you know what nobody else is going to read this and they're just going to pour money this free money because they don't know what to do with it and then the tide went out and they were the naked ones. Um, so I think that you're going to have situations where the, the, you're not going to have unicorns like that. You're going to have scrappy startups like you were describing where it's like, hey, we just did our um, you know, technology demo in Pasadena and um, we've got nuclear, you know, low, low nuclear reaction or you know, whatever new technology we've got, it totally works. We've got it. So you know, jump on board. Um, and I think we will see more ICOs, but it's going to be a bit more tempered. Certainly Bitcoiners um, you know, won't be sending out their Bitcoin to somebody else's address easily, uh, like in 27, as easily as 2017. But there still will be plenty of speculation and plenty of investment going on, but um, it won't be fueled by that debt underneath it. You know, Silicon Valley VC companies love to say, well, we don't, we don't really do that much debt. We're mostly investing proceeds and capital that we've developed, but it's like, okay, dude, you know, <clears throat> a lot of the companies that you're investing in had access to debt uh, and that, that they, they won't have, they would never have had that in 1915. They would never have been able to get a loan for six, a bridge loan for 6 million for the year just to get them across to, until they have another million users that they wouldn't have, they just wouldn't have gotten it. So I think that we're going to get, uh, into a place where there will be plenty of speculation, but there will be the, but lending and interest rates will be far higher. So your idea must meet a much higher bar and sooner. People are not going to have maybe quite as much patience 
for a, you know a, an Amazon to take uh, 18 years to to reach break even. Uh, they're not going to have that be able to borrow that much debt to do it. Well, speaking of the tide going out and revealing uh, SoftBank, uh, tell us about the cruise you were on, the Bitcoin cruise from uh, in Southern California. Tell us what happened. Who was on it? Well, uh, I got to hang out with Thomas from uh, you know Mad Bitcoins yeah. from the World Crypto Network for the very first time. I've been really? doing shows with him. Yeah, I <laughs> hung out with. Oh, wow, you you hung out with me after I I, I met him in uh, in uh, Colorado actually. But keep going, keep going. No. Well, I'd never been to a Bitcoin conference. Just a couple of meetups. I had spoken at um, Neil um, Woodfine's meetup in Northern England. Um, right at the peak of the bubble in 2017 in December, right around Christmas. I went to his meetup in Newcastle. It was really fun, but I had never been to a Bitcoin conference before. This is my first one. And um, the ugly old Bitcoin goat was uh, very kind enough to invite me to speak. I spoke about uh, the Bitcoin meme. That was the title of my talk. And I uh, talk about memes and culture, the general word, not just image memes, but the general word of memes, which is sort of any viral idea in culture. And, um, but uh, it was very special because I got to hang out with Thomas, with whom I've been doing shows for uh, five years. And um, we, we had an amazing time. We really connected. I was up there with a buddy of mine. We had a great time. And uh, just to meet everybody at the conference was amazing. People were so cool. And it was really intimate. Like the rest of the crews, they were non-conference people. So that was really strange, uh, you know, to be around a bunch of strange, stuck on a boat with strangers. I, I wasn't a big fan of that. Although the food was pretty good. And um, I really loved the conference attendees. So everybody that I met out there, I love you guys. Wow. So the conference was on a boat that had people that were non-conference on it. It was, it was not just... It, yeah, it was, was a giant cruise ship. There must have been 4,000 of us or 2,000? Oh, I mean, wow. Huge, 2,000. There's a lot. It seemed like zillions. And there was, there was not, it was just a few dozen of us in the conference. Which did, was you really get, did you get any of the non the normies in the bitcoin did you get any of those cruisers <laughs> i did actually have a couple conversations and they were so receptive they're like yeah yeah my nephew is but you know because there's enough people into it now where everybody knows somebody and um it's it's the boy is it a ripe like field out there when you plant a seed or whatever it's just so fertile well you know right now who is buying Bitcoin? Because people, it doesn't appear the regular retail investor, the regular guy is buying it right now. Yet the price has been pretty, well, it, it, since January, it's gone up quite a bit. Not that I care about the fiat price. One Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin. Remember that. Pound that like button. But uh, do, what do you, who do you think is buying this now? Or is anyone buying it? What do you think about the retail market and, and newbies coming in? Certainly people are buying it. I mean, on average, at this price, if it stays flat that means you know 15 million 16 million dollars a day is actually being injected into the bitcoin economy because of the uh you know inflation rate the minor subsidy is creating 1800 bitcoins a day right now not that they're selling them all in the market right away but on average you know uh you you got to have uh you know about uh 12 15 million bucks coming in new money new brand new capital that being invested directly into in bitcoins, not not the companies, not stocks, not anything that actually Bitcoin people actually purchasing it from other people, new money coming in. So that's actually pretty impressive. I mean, you look at a month, and uh, you know that's whatever five hundred million bucks, a half a billion coming in, flowing into the ecosystem every month. That's pretty impressive, even if the, the price stays flat. So um, 
I think it's everybody. I think that actually there are retail investors and people are just quiet about it like they should be. <laughs> That's that they should be definitely, but it, again, it's both I, though. It's in, in, institutional and I mean, everybody. Yeah. There's anecdotal evidence out there that, you know, people who are involved in businesses that deal with Bitcoin, uh, people that I know that sell, uh, you know, hardware wallets, they have no, they, their business has dropped off a cliff. So it, it to them, it appears there are not a lot of retail people, just common Joes and Janes that are coming in as much as that were coming in back in, in 2017 and stuff. And, you know, there's, there's, well, I think, I mean, yes, there was obviously a large influx at that time as shown because there's little, little liquidity. If a lot of people flood in, the price will go up disproportionately. But if you, as far as the hardware, just remember that every new person is coming in and yes, the resources are better so they can learn faster, but still they're on a path of learning. It's not like when we came in five, six years ago and we had to really do a lot of research ourselves in order to, become versed in it. Now you can um, read some books that are very well written that describe the economics, technology, um, but it still takes a solid year to like get up to speed on like, what do I do with this thing that's on Coinbase, you know, or whatever, like how do I really secure my legacy and make sure that my nephew can, or my son can get, uh, you know, have it if I die. And it's, it's a complex thing and it takes time. I and mean, even for us oldsters, um, you know, old coiners, uh, you know, there's a, there's always new security things, always new things to learn and intense stuff that's happening and more and more always. So, uh, you know, and, and, and each new person has that at least like a year or whatever of learning and they're all staggered at different times. So you were you know, speaking about in newness. We're, we're at, we were in Bitcoin second decade. You wanted to talk about Bitcoin second decade. Yeah, actually, this is a good segue. You know, uh, we were talking about how many people out there, are coming in and how many have it and there's a big there, nobody knows and nobody could know but um it's certainly bitcoin's price and adoption curve metrics you know transactions all that stuff follows uh, you know it's it's obviously geometric or exponential or you know it's it obviously it follows a mathematical um adoption curve i actually um there was a recent article I'm trying to remember who did it but it's like it was like a square root chart of the of the of the price uh, prices that you know never were seen again you know when the last time we saw five dollars last time we saw a hundred dollars right and it's all within this narrow band because um it's a it's an adoption curve right where there's a certain amount of people coming in and the more there are the more come you know on a, on a numeric level if you've got a hundred to go to 150 is 50 percent if you've got a billion people go to, you know, you're adding 500 million in that, that same proportion. So it's a proportional thing where it's going up by a percentage, a relatively consistent percentage, the number of users. So there's a lot of, um, you know, argumentation. Some people say that there's 5 million, 3 million users out there or, you know, people who have own any amount of Bitcoin. And some people are saying it's 70 million. Well, 70 million is 1% of the world's population. And on an exponential chart, and it's, classic adoption curve, 1% is halfway along the curve. So if we are talking about a decade for the first half, conceivably, if we went at the exact same pace, we would reach full adoption of all of humanity after another 10 years. Now, obviously, you know, the rate could change and all this different stuff. It's just a prediction and things like that. But it is interesting to note that particular fact that we're appro we probably approach at some point we will hit one percent of yes. the world's population for sure 
we've got to hit 70 million at some point. And I wouldn't be surprised if it happens very soon if we've already, or if we're already approximately at 50 or 70 million. I don't think we're at 70 yet, but that is an excellent point about when we hit 70, when we hit 1%, that's halfway on that, on that chart. So that is, I never thought of it that way. That is, I learn something new every day, people. That's why I got this dude on the show. All right, let us, uh, we got some other, let's go a little beyond Bitcoin here. You have anything to say about Hong Kong? Hmm. <laughs> yes. Hong Kong, Paris, Venezuela, Argentina, and what's the other? Oh, Catalonia. Turkey? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> is there, there are mass demonstrations in Turkey too? No, not yet. But, well, they mass have... demonstrations. Okay, mass demonstrations. Okay, no, not well. Ma there's, there's definitely an upswing in consistent mass demonstrations. It's not like, oh, you know, 100,000 people came to the main square and it was a big deal and, and uh, they gave the authorities the jitter. No, this is every Saturday. I mean, look at, look at France. The Yellow Vest movement is not going anywhere. They are very angry and they're speaking out. It's a, it's, it's a real problem for Macron. <clears throat> the people are getting harder to govern and control. China is, having a, is gonna have so many more issues on their hands. They already have been uh, cracking down on huge demonstrations for decades. I mean, they have so much unrest that we just don't hear anything about. And they don't even hear about it if they're not nearby because obviously there's a media blackout and they have so much control. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised. Well, Hong Kong is a bit of a canary in the coal mine for China, I think. Um, we're gonna see this trend continue in any jurisdiction that is reaming its populace, which is nearly all of them. I think this trend is going to be on the rise. And what you're going to see is capitulation. The people have understood their power and you, you they'll never forget it. I don't believe that um, these demonstrations can be pacified and I don't believe that they can be cracked down on um, because of cell phones. Everybody filming everything one second. Can you hear me again? Yeah, yeah, no, it was yeah. fine. It just cracked a little. Everything can be captured and shared with millions and millions and millions of people within minutes of it happening. You can't get away with it. There's no delay there anymore. You, before, if you wanted to run an authoritarian dictatorship, say 60s, right? If you're in the third world in the 60s, man, nobody's got any tech to stop you. There's no reporters there. There's maybe one and you just kill him, no problem. Or, or maybe there's an article in the Wall Street Journal about uh, this, you know, Uganda or something. Nowadays, you've got 4G. I mean, China's trying to utilize the technologies in order to increase their power and use and create a surveillance state and um it's it's turning out to be a lot more difficult maybe than they predicted because human beings tend to think for themselves if they're given the tools and so i think we're going to see a huge amount of capitulation in the near term then in the next five years we're going to see some huge shifts and we're going to see countries breaking apart 
where we're going to see uh, blocks and political alliances dissolving and reforming in different formations. It, these are all the canaries in the coal mine. And Hong Kong is a big one, definitely. It's not going to stop. It's going to get worse and worse and worse until finally China backs off. They will. The people are going to win that one. Wow, wow. There's a lot of people saying the opposite, that China will smack them down and they will. Oh, they will. But they, they, oh no, they're gonna try. They're gonna try. It's gonna get really ugly, and they're gonna. But that's gonna. That's gonna be the worst press. That's gonna be terrible marketing. That's terrible marketing for China. The th threats are horrible marketing. Everyone's gonna hate your guts. Wow. So that the people will not capitulate. It will be eventually the governments that capitulate. You say. I mean, not, I a, not even like not even eventually. It's like soonish, around the corner soonish five years within five years the next five years are going to see mass capitulation i would love that i i would i i keep the i keep the faith i keep the hope we we, we shall see what happens uh i think uh, next year there's going to be some some high level meetings uh they're panicking you know these guys in um davos and the bilderberg those people have lost control of once again the narrative people they can't they can't get away with their lies and their coercion and their fraud anymore. And they're floundering. Uh, they're maybe not getting lynched in the street quite yet, but um, I think that they are going to be negotiating with some other people. And next year, I think we're going to see some big shifts, even out, out of the top echelons. It won't only be, uh, you know, the, from coming from the people in the street. It'll be both. All right, we're we are getting toward the end of the show here. Uh, I want to see if there are any other topics I have. Where I did you want to say anything about the, the Gab article that I sent you? Uh, how they are? Uh, I mean, they're they're trying to go in a different direction uh, than these other social media companies. Uh, free speech, money. They're using Bitcoin. They are yeah. they're promoting Bitcoin. They want defiance instead of compliance. And again, you. <laughs> You've said you think defiance is going to win out. Um, I see yep. so many. I see so many people willing to comply. I see so many corporations willing to of course. comply. Yeah, that's the norm right now. But yes, it will flip. Gab is on the is on the cutting edge of it. Um, and yeah, that, they're once again like a like a canary in the coal mine, right? They're uh, they, they tried to deplatform de this company, and uh, I think um, more and more shakers are going to stand up for themselves by claiming their power and saying, you know what? No, I don't agree with that. These tools exist in order to create liberty among, among humanity. And um, so we're just going to use them and fuck you. Oh, excuse my language. It's but right. that's, it's, it's, that's a very specific usage of that. It's, it's, um, there's a term, fuck you money, right? This is yeah, um, Nicholas Taleb, right? He's talking about having the freedom to say no. And that this is, this is what I believe is going to be a huge movement, and it's going to freak out the people holding the reins so much that they're going to start capitulating all I, over the place in different ways, different levels. Yeah, but there's certain there are again certain people that are never going to have the fu money. I think it's just I think it's the 2080 rule, baby. This is what I always talk about. I think it's going to be the 20 percenters that are going to over time wake up, say, you know, we don't want to be part of this matrix anymore. We're opting into the Bitcoin overlay. We're, we're not going to be part of the machine. You, you guys can have your fun with uh, Facebook coin, with uh, being yeah. monitored, with all the, the so-called convenience. Um, we'll, we'll go our own way. We'll be, 
So many people, their whole definition of life is they must work for someone else. They must have someone else take care of them. And I just think there's certain people that will never want to leave that comfortable room of uh, being being taken care Uh, of. I think 2080 is probably a good conservative estimate of that. Yeah, um, say a couple billion um, shakers, which is a huge, I mean, the amount of wealth that you can create about with two, two billion uh, self-starters and, you know, maybe six billion people who are just kicking it and, uh, you know, just watching some TV and some popcorn and uh, making some espressos and it's all good. <laughs> there we go. That's, that's, that's going to be our uh, world very soon. All right. Any conclusionary thoughts, anything that was left out you wanted to add? Anything interesting going on? Yeah, I kind of want to touch back on my talk on the cruise. Yeah, which please, is, please. Um, yeah, I was talking about memes, and I was talking about something called a hallarchy, which is a um, idea of a natural hierarchy that, um, uh, which each piece has um, uh, sort of um, an echo of the whole, like a fractal, but um, it's maybe a different type of whole. So it's kind of these related ideas that form a hierarchy of some type. And um, if there's a, there's a, the structure of the ideas is very important. So keep looking very closely at the narrative that is underlies people's statements. Look at the context. What are people saying? You know, what's the meta level, right? Um, I was talking to some guys on Twitter today about, um, I was trying to emphasize that Trump um, part of the reason, in fact, possibly the main reason why he won and why he's able to be uh, to grab the zeitgeist right now is his ability to tweet so effectively. He's an incredible twi- tweeter, and his tweets are um, are are really uh, defi- like defining. They're narrative defining. He's he's he uses the tweets very specifically to to advance his narrative, and. Unless you can do that in this day and age, you'll never succeed as a politician in the West. In, in the developed countries, you have to be an amazing tweeter or you'll never succeed. And um, you know, people were saying, well, a lot of Americans don't like that. And on Twitter, they were responding to me. They don't like that. And um, they, they're not on Twitter. And um, I was trying to emphasize that both of those points are so completely irrelevant. Number one, if you're not on Twitter, You'll still see those tweets, the tweet because the mainstream media are now way behind the curve, and they are reporting on tweets, which are statements by individuals that cannot be uh, spun, right? That's why it's so powerful. the 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 field, um, the landscape, uh, political landscape, and the the media landscape. When I say media, I mean the communications landscape among mass humanity has changed absolutely flipped on its head. It's so different now than it was 10 years ago. Because we have, because any individual who gets any spotlight on them, which of course is always politicians, but anybody too, you and me, Adam, on Twitter, on Twitter, you have a nearly, you know, censorship free platform. Obviously there's, it's not quite like that. And eventually we'll, we'll be a hundred percent censorship free with things, decentralized alternative, the next step beyond Gab, right? But even with Twitter, it's so incredibly powerful, this microblogging platform where I am making the statement and you can try to spin it in your article, but anyone can easily, instantly, like, you know, in, in a second, go and see the source statement that I made and nobody can change. That is totally different from how the 20th century was. And people love to 
fight it and they want their old institutions that they, they want the trust that they had. They want the comfort that they used to have in those old institutions. And that's never coming back. The world has changed forever. It will never go back to that short of an apocalypse, will, you know, like a mass situation where everything gets, the infrastructure gets destroyed. We're never going back to that uh, trusted media intermediary anymore. Now everyone has their own voice and you're going to have to judge their positions and, their, and what they're doing based on the words that they project out into the world. Times have changed. So when you are looking at those statements that people make, Consider the context, consider the meta levels. What is the narrative that they're trying to advance? And what is the context from which they're trying to uh, express something? And what is the demographic that they're trying to reach? What's the target demographic? Who are they trying to trigger, right? Tr Trump is great at combining, um, appeasing his base and triggering his uh, detractors. So he's got this great balance of troll and whatever hero. Um, so and that, that's what kind of a lot of people are trying to do with their personal marketing. So really look carefully and really look to identify any fallacious elements in that structure where it's like, oh, well, you've made this statement, but actually it, it relies on two totally contradicting concepts. So I highly recommend that people who want to know more about that uh, in, in relation to Bitcoin, especially, go and check out my talk on YouTube. We'll try to get the link to that. Yes, well. I was going to ask you that question, man. You just made me as some very powerful stuff you just said. I want to watch your speech now. So, is it's, it's has it been uploaded? Is it somewhere? Um, definitely the full uh, everything was uploaded in one video, I believe, and the separate videos are either on the way or just went up. I need to check. All right. So you'll send me the full link. I'll link to the full cruise. You guys can find it in there. I'll try to like say what time it was on at and everything. This is a very interesting stuff. I love it. I think that's a great way to end the show. Get everybody enthused about watching that. All right. Gabriel Devine, thank you for your time today. He, his Twitter is linked to below. He tweets out a lot of good stuff. Yeah. He goes way beyond me. He goes way beyond Michael Krieger also, but everyone's a unique beast in their own way. And some people really love that stuff that I don't talk about here, but he definitely talks about it. So again, that's This Week in Bitcoin. We bring you the best guest in the freaking space like Gabriel Divine. Every Friday, you can catch this show. Who knows what time it comes on? It depends on where I am. I'll be in Australia next week. So who knows what's going to be going on then? But anyway, I'm Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister Disrupt Meister. I do a new show here every day. Saturday is the Beyond Bitcoin show. Every other day in the week is just the one Bitcoin show. You never know what you're going to get here. Remember, subscribe to the channel, like this video, share this video, check out all the links below, pound that like button, bang the bell button, click on the squares. Shabbat Shalom. We will see you tomorrow, next week, whenever you come back. Thank you all. See you later. Bye-bye.